The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Today is Monday, March 6th, 2023. Listeners, please welcome amateur adult fetish artist, performer, and director, the creator of Waxack Triple X, Waxack. How are you doing, sir? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Poppy Chulo. This is an awesome opportunity, and can't wait to get into the dynamics of whatever it is we're going to talk about. Clearly, we're going to talk about the sack, but yes, we're going to be talking about everything about you. We're going to hopefully allow the listeners and your fans and supporters to get to know uh, maybe a different side of wax sack that they were not expecting. Yeah, a more sensitive side or a more quiet side because people accuse me of being very loud in my video, so... We'll get into that. Well, there is that. Well, I mean, you are orgasmic, but anyway, we'll get into that. (laughs) That's a verb. Yes. All right. So I typically like to start off these interviews by getting some unique stats out the way. So what's your height and weight? I'm actually 5'10", and as of today, I've got my weight down to 150. Um, When I started doing this, I was much bigger. And I slimmed down, and I feel much better. And, you know, my confidence is a lot better, too, because being on camera, um, you know, you can be, like, self-conscious and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm bad as hell, whatever. And, and then, you know, you work, you work, you put in the work, and then you slim down. And that's where it's at right now. So 150, 5'10", for the basics. What's your ethnic background? I am... Black or African American, but um, I also have a parent who is um, from overseas, somewhere in the um, United Kingdom region. So um, sometimes my accent does come out oddly, and um, you know I can't help it. But I am from Chicago, so I'm a Chicagoan with sometimes an English accent. What's your zodiac sign? I am, what is that, uh, June 20th, that's a Gemini, or Cancer, Cancer, I think it's the Zodiac's right, I'm a Cancer, I don't know what that means to everybody, but that's what it is, I'm a Cancer. Actually, you're a Gemini. Oh, damn. You've been living the wrong life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. You're on the tail end. June. All right, bet. All right, Gemini. All right, as of today. As of today, you're a Gemini. I'm a Gemini. That's it. Perfect. And how old are you? 35. All right. Let's get to know a bit about the man behind the performer. You already mentioned you're from Chicago. so, So tell me about yourself as a youngster. What was Wax Sack like growing up? Oh my goodness. These are the deep questions. Well, it's all good. Um, you know, 
I grew up in Chicago, so Chicago was very, you know, different than it is now. Um, you know, and I say that to say that those from Chicago will understand what I'm saying when I talk about, like, certain neighborhoods, certain housing developments, as we know, as the projects and things of that nature. Um, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a neighborhood known as High Park, which is a very prominent, you know, popular neighborhood in Chicago. Um, I went to school all my life in Chicago, in the city. And for those who listening, you know, when you say Chicago, some people may assume the suburbs, but I grew up in the city of Chicago, like all the way through, talking, you know, Mayor Daly and the whole bit, like no suburbs ever. Um, grew up in High Park. Um, I loved the ball. Basketball was the thing that I really loved to do when I was a, a youngin all the way through, you know, high school and even now, but I don't get to hoop as much as I used to because of my life, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that's my that's my whole thing. Like, grew up in High Park, um, you know, got into, you know, going to college, and I got out of college and got into my, my life life, which um, I don't really want to disclose at this time only because, you know, it will possibly intervene with uh, certain aspects of the wax sack. However, um, I am self-employed and I work for myself. So, you know, I basically am an entrepreneur and this wax sack thing was something that kind of happened as a, as a passive idea. Um, and, and I'm sure you're going to ask about that, but yeah, that's, that's my life growing up basically, you know. Oh, you know, I definitely will be asking about that. But before we get into that, what was going sure. on with your life prior to sort of making the jump, the leap into the wax sack? Um, oddly enough, um, I got out of college and, you know, I was doing my work, doing my grind. I basically am independent, so I do my own work. Basically, I create my own schedule, that whole thing. Um, and I was dating. I was with girlfriends. I had girlfriends and girls that I may have thought that I was going to spend my life with and, you know, try to not with or whatever, and they didn't work out. And, you know, it was just relationship, 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 relationship. And, and at some point, um, you know, things just sort of kind of hit me all at once where I went through this particular re relationship and I just had this crazy idea of, you know, I really want to get into the adult industry, but I don't really know anything about it. I don't know who to talk to. And this is during the time when, like, the Internet platforms were just starting so there was no how to get into porn for dummies book, you know, or definitely no YouTube videos. You're not going to see those. You're not going to see them on any of the other adult sites. Um, so my life was basically um, work, relationship, work, relationship, work, relationship. And um, 
I just had this idea that I that has been I had this idea for years, um, kind of going back to college, but you know that goes back to the whole thing of like I didn't know how to get into it, so I just kind of let it just float around in my brain, and I'm like, eh, you know, if it happens, it happens; if it don't, it don't, you know. And then um, things started to take a turn, so. That's that's basically my life. Um, to give you a clue as far as what I do for work, because I know some people might be like, all right, so what is the work part and the relationship part? So as far as the work that I do, it is basically along the lines of um, legal consultation. So in, in the, in, it's in the area of law. So that's the other paradox of me doing this concept in my real life, which is, very contrasting because, you know, um, needless to say, there's a very professional, um, you know, expectation that certain people need to have or carry when they're working in certain fields, especially in law. And, you know, for me, I was like, I have this idea and I just got to see if it can happen. And I, I will regret the day that I don't try it and at least try to see what it can do. So that's how the wax sack kind of was born. Like it was born out of that mentality of I'd rather try it than not try it and wonder what would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense. So before we get into the actual... Uh... What do I want to say? Before we get into the actual sort of steps that you took into making this a reality, I kind of want to pick your brain about the actual idea itself. Where did this idea come from? Um, Because clearly, I don't know if you knew this when you thought of the idea, but I mean, clearly what you're doing is in the realm of fetishes. It's it's a bit of fetish play. So was this like a fetish that you had you know, as as your own sort of burgeoning sexuality was starting to happen, as you started having sexual experiences? Was this a fetish that you had? Was it just, was it a fetish that you had never explored, but you had the idea about? Like, where did the concept come from? Especially because, as you referenced, you had this idea for a moment. Like, you had this idea when you were in college. So, clearly, you know, this concept, this fetish had been, you know, had been a part of your mind for a minute before you decided to actually dive deeper into the venture. Yeah, yeah. And so the nucleus of this fetish um, is quite a journey. And I will give the very summarized version, but I'm going to make it very detailed as well. So like most guys, you know, most average age, you know I'm just saying? Like maybe most dudes start watching porn, maybe – you know, you know, if if you're, you know, mid-30s and up, you know, like me, um, you probably went to the video store or got the DVDs and, you know, you didn't, you didn't have the internet porn like most of the younger people have. So for me, I was more fascinated with, um, like, um, foreplay porn, which is like the hand job and the blow job and like even the foot stuff like I was more intrigued with that because it was it was a very segmented part of 
porn, which didn't get a lot of, you know, public, you know, a lot of props, but I thought it was interesting. And then as the years progressed, we got into the 2000s and, you know, internet porn started to open up a bit. It was around like 2009 or 10, I came across Clips for Sale, which is whole website clip site of all of the studios that have fetish based content and that opened up a universe for me that let me it, it was like walking into like if you're into like this is very random what I'm about to say but it's like if you're into car parts like oh I love to see tires that were on a 65 but not the car <laughs> That's kind of how I equate clips for sale. It's, it's you can find the, the the sex stuff there, but you can also find the very far left stuff. So I got deep into the rabbit hole, going down that clip site, going down all these different studios, and then I came across um, Jerky Girls and um, the women on top studios, K Clixon Productions. Um, these were studios that I actually supported, bought clips from, and really studied how they were doing things and just was fat. I was just entertained by it, you know. Needless to say, it, it, it was very satisfactory, too. So I decided, okay, there's a universe for this. There's a place where this fetish thing can happen. Now, the other part of this story is I actually tried latex and leather, and because that's like the standard BDSM um, outfit material, um, I tried it, didn't like it. I hated the way it felt. I didn't like how it felt on my skin. It irritated me. Um, and I was like, I, I want to do something very different in this, in this vein, but I don't want to do that. So my idea, now this is funny because I think that first Iron Man movie dropped around 2008 or nine or so so you know i was i had this this idea like i'm gonna be like iron man i'm gonna make a plastic suit version of a bdsm suit and my idea was for it to look like the leather and latex but to be made of plastic so just so i can develop the idea I started using garbage bags because it was the most accessible thing to use to like look at the material because it would have been more or less kind of in the same look as a, as a you know, the garbage bag and the suit would have been very similar. And I started using the garbage bag. And what happened was I had, I was in a relationship. This is before I even, even thought about taking a camera out and filming this stuff. I had one relationship. I tried it with one girl, this girl that I was in, right? The first time I had this idea, I tried it with her. She said, oh, this is horrible. I hate this. This is weird. I, I don't like this. And I was like, damn, all right, the idea's done. But I got, I got out of the relationship with her. That ended, got into another relationship. And oddly enough, some time passed, I said, hey, check this idea out. I want to do something. We did it. And she only wanted to do the bag. So I went from one relationship where she hated the bag. The next one, the girl only wanted to do 
the wax sack. Like she wanted to have sex. She wanted to just do all the foreplay stuff. It was her biggest turn on. So that for me is what ignited the idea for me to go forward and actually try to get it going. And that's the origin story more or less of the wax sack. Very interesting. Okay. So you've had an experience that wasn't the best, but then you had a reassuring one. And so now you're feeling incredibly positive about turning this into something. So how do you go about just, you know, doing it at home with the woman that's your partner at the time to actually turning this into an actual thing? You know, what was that transition like? Yeah, that's an interesting question because when I think about it, it's actually bizarre how quickly things flipped from me doing it just in the bedroom setting with no cameras and it's just me and her to now I'm bringing in all these girls and it just looks like a fiesta. So what happened was I was with the girl that loved the bag. She and me and her kind of had this, you know, I would say as most people would call it a toxic relationship, <laughs> like keeping it real. Like it was kind of chaotic, but we had a very high sexual chemistry. So that's really what drove the relationship. It was our physicality. It wasn't really based on trying to uh, build a future together. Um, but during the course of me dealing with her, we would have down periods or off periods, and then, and then we'd come back, and then we'd be down. So during the down period, um, situations where I just didn't think I would talk to her again. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to develop this porn idea that I had that she likes. And because we've done it enough times in private, I already had a formula for how to plan for it, how to, you know, pitch it. So, you know, I already had it in my mind how I was going to do it. Now, the, the challenge was how do I get others on board for it? So what I did was during this down period, I actually had other female friends that were, you know, not friends with benefits, but they were just girls that, that I knew who, um, you know, I was free with and I was able to just talk freely about some stuff. So, uh, so what happened was I actually did a personal video with my ex. I did a personal video, a video that's never been released, and, you know, for reasons that, you know, that are obvious, I can't ever release it because, you know, that's like danger zone. But long story short, what I did do was I showed my female friends the personal clip on the phone. So I wasn't sending the clips out to anybody. I, they only got to see it on my phone. So I just asked a few female friends, like, hey, what do you think about this? And they didn't know it was me. They had no idea. So I'm test marketing this idea to these female friends. And they all said, wow, that's interesting. Now I would actually watch this porn. And for me, that was even more confirmation because when a woman says she would watch the porn, that means you, you have the interest of, not just the dudes that obviously will watch it because the girls in it, but the women that that want to see it. So now I'm like, okay, I got both sides of the fence. 
So now I have to figure out who can I get to get be in these videos. So what I did on the early stages during this down period, um, I basically had my female friends that I showed the video. They were like, I love this. And I said, well, I tell you what, I'm developing this new project and I'm looking to build a studio based around this content. So if you or maybe some other girls that you might know want to be interested in doing this, then I will work out something. I didn't have a tangible, like, agreement plan at that point because I was still developing and I still didn't, you know, I didn't really know what the overhead would be like. I didn't know what the whole process of, like, the back end of, like, all the logistics of that would look like. But I was just like, let me just wrangle up the girls and then I'll figure out the other parts on the back end. And out of all, like I've, I've showed like four or five female friends, only one girl, only one girl was down. And it was the girl that is noted as, she's, she's Tina on my clip site and on my platforms. Her name is Tina. Tina was down, and that was the first wax sack clip I ever shot was with her, and that's kind of what got the ball rolling. So after I shot that first scene, I used that scene to be a demo for the other future pitches that I would present to other girls and say, hey, I've got this thing going, and it looks like this, and I would make a very short clip, like 10 seconds, 20 seconds and show it to them. And I go, what do you think? Would you be down to do something like this? And the big selling point for them was that they they never seen anything like it. They, they were like, I just want to try it because, you know, A, this is very different. And B, the other incentive was the way I used to shoot back then, I had one camera, a camcorder, and I would have the camcorder propped up on a tripod behind me and most of them were like I don't want to be seen so just don't show my face and I was like I could do that no problem and so everything was POV and I just made sure to frame it a certain way so that whenever they did the hand job or the foot job they wouldn't be seen and then I would share the finish works of what we did, like whatever girls I worked with, I would just like, Hey, here's your copy. Then they would tell their girlfriends. And then, and then it just started to snowball. So that's actually how it started. That's how the early phase of wax started was word of mouth. Actually, just me pitching to my female friends. And then one girl jumped on then then another girl referred. And then, um, and then I started to um, try to recruit by going to massage parlors, which I thought was a better move than going to a strip club because I don't really think that the strip club performer style was at that time. I didn't. I just didn't see it converting to what I was doing at that early stage of Wax Sack. And I thought the massage girl was more um, down to earth. I wanted a girl that was more kind of um, girl next door vibe. You know, she was, you know, the girls were normally clothed, fully clothed. 
in my early videos, and so it, it kind of had this dynamic of, um, you know, you know, clothed female, naked male theme too. Mm -hmm. um, and and I wanted it to be very different, not just in the fact that I'm wearing a bag and having acts performed for me, but the fact that the girls can look sexy but being casual without having to wear lingerie and try to overtly show their sexuality. Just the fact that they were wearing jogging pants and a tank top was like, you know, a dynamic thing. And I was really into it. So I, I made sure that I told the girls, this is the direction I want to go. So make sure when you show up, come casual. Um, later, as the, pro as, the, as the project developed, you know, girls would, would just, they show up and they, they have lingerie on or something. So, you know, I would, I mean, I'm not going to fight them. I'm not going to say, you know, don't show up with lingerie. But, um, like, at the core of this project, I try to make sure that the girls are more casual than in lingerie. So, and the other side note, another side note, this is something that I have to mention that's very important to the storyline because um, a few of the followers, a lot of the followers that, that do follow me, some of them remember when I first started. And my first, before I was Wagsack, my name was Bagger Vance. So, and it's a very geeky reference. Um, it's so funny because there was a Will Smith Matt Damon movie called Bagger Vance. Mm -hmm. True story. And I thought it would be clever because I'm in the bag and, you know, my, um, my name, you know, I go by Vance. So Vance is my name, right? So Vance is, I thought it was kind of cunning, like, oh, I'm Bagger Vance. So I was Bagger Vance. The, the earliest clips for Sale Studio that I've ever, the first one I ever started was called Bagger Vance. And what happened, the reason that studio closed was because I had got back with the girlfriend. The down period ended. <laughs> so I got back with the girlfriend. And maybe a few months <laughs> into us being back, um, the, the the classic thing that you know most dudes you know you're in a relationship with the sort she went through my phone she went through my phone and she's like who the hell is Bagger Vance what is this stuff it's just she 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 found all this stuff started to seeing the videos I didn't have a lot of videos at this point when she caught me so I only had like three videos so she um asking questions like, is this you? Is this you? Is, and I'm, you know, I'm like, now, now we've done the concept together. It was my thing. I told her about it. She did it. And she's asking me if it's me. So my first instinct was to be like, does it look like me? And sh she was so confused. I guess she, she was like, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? So I, so as a preemptive measure, I changed the name to wax sack because I got caught up relationship. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but you know, thinking back on it, I think it was, I think it was meant to be like that because I actually like wax sack better. It like rolls off the tongue and 
it kind of just it just kind of nails the concept even better than Bagger Vance for me. But that's the that's the origin story. It started off as Bagger Vance and it ended up as Wagsack. So Wagsack is actually the newborn name, and it's been the name that's stuck for you know, I guess about six years now. That's what's up. So it's so in total, you've been a content creator for six years. I started developing content on camera, and as uh, I would say, twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. The year that I started to start to do the camera thing, like that's when I brought the cameras out, or should I say the camera? Because I only had one camera back then, and it was a camcorder. You know, it was a Canon HF three hundred. I'm talking like full four eighty p resolution. We're talking like, gosh, it was. It, it, I mean, I wasn't even near HD level, um, but I was still shooting using that camcorder. Um, so I would say 2017, yeah, about, yeah, about that long, about six years now, I guess. Okay. So, wait, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, give or take six Mm -hmm. years, maybe seven, maybe, maybe the first year was like a development year, you Mm -hmm. know, how to work the camera and, you know, blah, 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 but yeah. You've been discussing your origin, how this concept became a reality. So let's take it a step further. How did this concept become a hit? Because as you referenced, you were like looking for local girls to shoot with you and that sort of thing. And at this point, you know, in the year 2023, you have over 50K thousand followers on Twitter, and you're working with established talent. How did that transition happen? You know, from going with amateur performers that weren't really interested in showing their face, but now you've gotten to the point to where you can get some bigger-named people involved in your productions. That is an excellent question, and... I will gladly answer it because as of right now, it still boggles my mind that I was able to to make such strides given the obstacles of me being um, a fetish content creator, doing something that nobody else was doing. And and it also had elements of of so many sub-elements within this concept that are just kind of quirky. And I and I don't I mean that in the most honest and sincere way because I I don't take myself too serious, but how it happened, um, so I started working with the girls on the early end like just word of mouth and this this girl here this girl there but then I wanted to expand and grow into you know possibly doing other acts but nothing like that was gonna be at this time I wasn't thinking like um, doing like hardcore or having like penetration scenes that was not even near um in my in my frame of mind but what happened was i started to expand my outreach so what happened i went to i was using dating apps so i would jump on tinder and okcupid and bumble and i on on those dating apps 
fans. And it would be me. It would really be my real self. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be wearing a bag. And I would go on dates with girls and basically vibe them out the first time. Like, we, you know, just get a vibe check, make sure everything's cool. And then I would say, hey, what are your thoughts on porn? Or how do you feel about porn? Like, you know, and then I would get their opinion. And based on that, I would say, hey, so I want to show you something. Check this out. Let me know what you think about it. And then most of the girls, I would say 90% of them would be like, oh, this is cool. Um, but I could sense that they were, like, kind of, like, not turned. They were not feeling it. You know what I mean? They they probably just didn't like the idea that I was kind of forwarding porn to them as a as a suggestion that I wanted to be sexual with them. But there was a few girls that I did the same thing to, same approach, vibed them out, showed them the video, and they said, wow, who's doing this? How can I do this? And then that's where I come in. I go, well, I got some news for you. Check this out. That's actually me. And I do this thing. I'm developing blah, blah, blah. And so I got some girls doing that. And then I would be out in, you know, events, public places like the supermarket, Target, um, and just, just holler at girls, like, um, but not, not pitching them being in content right away. I would always approach them as if I wanted to actually get to know them, you know, and then try to figure them out and then just vibe them out. So I got a few girls doing that. And then it really popped off when I started to, you know, get on, I got on Twitter. I jumped on Twitter because Tumblr had basically disintegrated. So that's where I was actually posting a lot of my promotional stuff at first was on Tumblr. And then the Tumblr crash happened. Then I moved to Twitter. When I moved to Twitter, now I get to see all these other talents firsthand. Like I get to see them tweeting. I get to see, you know, their activity. So now I'm in the in the um, same shared space as them. And when I jumped to Twitter, I didn't really pop off really quickly. Like it wasn't like an instant hit. What I started to do was I realized that after about six or seven months of being on Twitter and just tweeting blank, just just what they call like naked tweets, just tweets that had no content attached to it, um, I was like, oh, this is not working. So one day I just decided to go in my vault of just random core porn, like just, just my, my personal vote of like things that I like to watch and things that I'm into. And I started curating content. So I was curating stuff that, uh, that had already been released. You know, I would see stuff from like, you know, Bang Brothers or whatever and just, you know, make sure the clip was like five seconds or something so it's not like giving away the whole scene. But I would just show like five seconds of one clip from this thing, 10 seconds, and then I started to develop an audience. So they started to react to those clips. And then I said, oh, I get it. I'm going to put my clips as part of the tweet. So every tweet, that's the whole backstory behind my, my method of tweeting, is I put the clip with the caption or whatever I tweet. That way people can see the content. And most of the time they're reacting to the content first no matter what I tweet. So 
that's usually that's how I started, and this that's how it started to snowball. So it started to pick up steam around 2019. Like 2019 was the year where I think it just blew up, and it started to get a lot of engagements, and people started to just react to it because you know they would be like, "What the hell is this?" Like they would just roast me all day on Twitter. And by them doing that, they would retweet my content. And so it would put them, it would put my content in in the view of other people. And then they would roast me. They'd be like, this dude's in the bag screaming, getting jerked off. And then it would just snowball from there. And then how it gets to the, to the notable names, it just, it just happened organically because it was one of those things where I wanted to work with some bigger names, but I had I was an amateur creator. I had no real pool. I, I wasn't really deep into the industry like that. I wasn't going to industry events. I wasn't I wasn't really that savvy with it. And what happened was um, one of the earliest girls that I've ever shot with. Like this is one of the girls who's actually from Chicagoland, um, Lala Ivy. Lala Ivy is from Chicagoland, and she was one of the first girls I ever shot this concept with. And we connected um, kind of in a serendipitous way. Um, I think it was by way of Model Mayhem or something very random. Like, I would also post a Model Mayhem back when Model Mayhem was a big thing. And she replied to an ad and the ad was basically like, you know, I'm a content creator looking to develop a new concept. You couldn't be too explicit on that platform, so you had to just be like, content creator looking to develop new idea. And then you had to tell them after the fact. So I connected with Lala Ivy. Lala Ivy was down. She did a lot of videos with me. She kind of set the standard. Like, Lala Ivy was the, was the first girl I ever worked with who really knocked everything out the ballpark like she did she does everything and um but we didn't do intercourse ironically at that time you know she she was the first to do um a facial she did the first facial with me she did the first blow job um so she was elevating the the concept naturally just by being available and doing doing those things and Lala Ivy moved away from Chicago, moved out to, like, California, started working with the big companies. And so because she started working with the big companies and the big acts and the big stars, now whenever I post Lala Ivy, she would retweet, and then those people on her side would see it. So now now the, the credibility of what I do becomes even more more established because the girls that she's working with in these major studios, I mean, we're talking like dog fart and, you know, bang brothers and all these big studios, um, braziers, like obviously she's working with all of them. So she put, she kind of in a way put me in the viewpoint of some of those girls. And the first girl that I worked with was Trinity St. Clair who, you know, that was the first notable 
that I had broke through to as far as getting in on the concept. And um, I shot with Trinity twice. And Trinity, um, you know, by the time I got to Trinity, I had enough reps, I had enough clips, I had enough practice to where I was comfortable you know, getting to that point of meeting up with somebody at that level because I also would I also have some reservations about like, oh, this person might be too big and they might feel some kind of way about me, you know, not using big time studio equipment and having a studio and all this stuff. So that's kind of how it started. And then I then I shot with Trinity, and then I would I would tweet about, you know, our clips, me and Trinity, me and Trinity, I would just keep tweeting, tweeting, tweeting. And then um, some other notable name would add, would follow me. And then I would follow them back. And it would just kind of just keep going and going and going. And it's happened slowly over the course of, I would say, since uh, around that, mm, I was that shot with Trinity St. Clair the first time in 2018. And then slowly after that, that's when things started to really ramp up. So it kicked off with Lala Ivy first, and then Trinity St. Clair. And then next thing you know, um, it was it was like, you know, the gates are wide open. And... Um, by 2019 and 20, even, even parts of 2020, like late 2020, um, obviously the world wasn't moving as fast in 2020, but by like the late fall, the late fall of 2020, um, that was when girls was, were just like, I'll fly into Chicago just to have a chance to shoot with you. I like, they wanted to build their portfolio up. They're like, I just want to shoot with wax set because that because some girls would just really want to get in the porn, but they want they didn't want to do gang bang. They didn't want to get into casting couch. They didn't want to do um, auditions and they didn't want to go through the the red tape. They wanted to kind of ease their way in. And wax set provided a lot of girls um, kind of like <laughs> batting practice <laughs> for them to kind of get into the you know the flow of being on camera and um and that's kind of how it happened um and even now like it's word of mouth even to this very day um some girls will text me or reach out to me on twitter or dm me and say oh my my other friend is in town who i shoot with or i tour with like you know because girls usually tour together um so if I shoot with one girl, they'll say, hey, my, my other girl is actually in Chicago and she's looking to do some content. Would you be down to shoot with her? And so I'll go, okay, cool. And then we'll follow each other and then we'll make a connection. And so as of late, it has been word of mouth solely. It has been references. It has been, you know, seeing me on the Twitter timeline all the time, which um, I always tell guys that are content creators, you have to be very present on Twitter in order for you to, you know, make some traction if you want to do that. So that's how I got, got to this point because I just kept showing my face, showing my, well, <laughs> figuratively speaking, not literal, but, you know, just in a figure of sense, like 
showing my content, showing people what I do, and you know, I'm as far as I know, I don't know too many other content creators that are posting, um, quote unquote, free content the way that I'm posting it. Of course, the the longer versions have more information, more action, all this stuff. But for the most part, it is quantifiably free because I'm posting free segments of it. And for me, it's it's about reaching the people and connecting with new talent and new people in the industry and people that have interest in this. Not, like I'm not motivated by trying to make the most amount of profit, you know, or money. Um, if anything, that, that those things just refunnel themselves into – you know, equipment or um, in some cases, like some girls, some talent, you know, they do ask for uh, a talent fee and whatnot, which I totally understand because a lot of them do this full time. Like, they, this is their job. Like, you know, for me, this is something that it's a passion, it's a labor of love, and it's a very, very, very deep hobby, you know. I'm talking like it's a serious hobby. But um, there are girls that are out here really grinding every day doing it, and they might have a talent fee. So, you know, what I make is basically a part of funneling back to them and, and making sure that I can keep the concept going. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how it happened. And so now it's, it's a thing that just it's, – it's kind of an institution now, and I, and I have somewhat of an obligation to – to keep it at a certain level. So how it all happened um, in a nutshell. Now, you referenced the fact that initially, you know, this concept was inspired by your love of uh, sort of foreplay style porn or the elements of foreplay and porn. So in the beginning, as you referenced, you know, it was kind of hand jobs, foot jobs, Etc. As you discussed your work and and how yeah. um, you know you started to get more mainstream performers involved, you referenced the fact that it moved into oral. And as you referenced, you know you you did your first facial scene and that sort of thing. So how did it evolve yeah. into now including penetration and hardcore action? Yes. Yeah. So how it jumped from the the, the very foreplay-based uh, platform or just acts of, you know, those acts, um, it literally went from zero to 100 in a matter of seconds. And what's funny is there was a performer that I shot with a few times that um, she's from the Chicagoland area. And, you know, we did a few scenes. And what happened was our first scene was actually a handjob scene. And it was like, okay, cool, boom, knock it out the box. And then the second scene was a blowjob scene, which was kind of already normal for me at that point. So I had done a few blowjob scenes, no big deal. Then the third scene, that's where things went from zero to 100 because, Initially, the scene was supposed to be just a blowjob scene, 
and she was going to be naked, which at that point, I maybe had a few girls that were topless, but never full on naked. But she was comfortable with it. So I always make sure the talent is comfortable with whatever's happening. I never tell them, get naked or whatever. Like I always say, everything is comfort level with them. So she wanted to do it naked. I was like, cool. We started to get into the scene. And another thing about this scene that I have to make mention is that um, for this particular scene, this specific scene that I'm talking about, um, she wanted her boyfriend in the room. And, and that had never happened in my life. Like, that never happened where, you know, I was doing a session and the girl was like, my boyfriend, can he be in the, can he be in the room? Like, he didn't want to be in the scene. He just wanted to be in the room. I was like, you know, I made a judgment call. I met him, you know, based on my vibe with the dude. I was like, you know, it's all good. It's cool. So he sat in the corner. He didn't bother any anything about the scene. But as we were getting into the blowjob scene, she she basically said, I want to get on top. And... Of course, this is the first penetration scene. Um, technically, it is. Um, but at the time, in the middle of the session, what I was thinking was, oh, my gosh, this is like, I mean, my my mind is like, I probably shouldn't. But part of my mind was like, well, her boyfriend's here. And I know it's twisted. It's kind of goofy thinking. And then I, I definitely rolled a big dice on that one. But I rolled it. I was like, skip it. Let's do it. And so she got on top. And not only was it a penetration scene, it wasn't just that. She stayed on top while I had the orgasm. So it ended up being a cream pie scene at that. So it went from, like, Blow job, hand job, blow job, foot job to cream pie in the matter of one scene. And um, that was the scene that more or less broke the gates wide open. Because at that point, it had just been hand job, blow job, foot job. That, that was the sequence. Or it, it was definitely tit job. Like that was, that was a, a popular thing too like that's actually a very popular category for me on the clips for sale site so you know for me like that's one of my top i'm always in the top five or the top six studios for that category so um so then that you know after that scene with this performer it, it was just it turned into like oh you can do that now and so um Happened frequently after that, though. It, it wasn't like, oh, that scene happened, and now I'm just having sex with all the girls. I still had my set talent that would only do hand job, or some girls are only comfortable doing foot job or blow job. Like, not all of them were like, oh, we're all gonna have sex now, you know, because they weren't comfortable with that. So I respect that, and I never made any girl or told them that they should do any single thing that made them uncomfortable. Um, because respect is always the key with doing this and you want to make sure they're comfortable naturally. Um, so, so the, the, the penetration thing started to really take flight 
after, say, 2019, where I was doing more interracial, more IR content. Um, when that when that started to happen naturally, that's when that's when it all unraveled. Um, I was I was doing um, penetration scenes too with a few black girls or um, maybe not so many with the Hispanic girls, but like definitely a few black girls, and it was mostly all white girls. So um, came, that's part of the um, story where it, the word of mouth thing started to kind of take flight because now it had gone from oh, this, this dude in the bag getting jerked off and blah, blah, blah. So now the girls are like, oh, we can have a little fun too. So now they're jumping in and interested because now they can they can kind of get really involved in it, <laughs> you know, versus, you know, just doing the hand job or the blow job, which I'm sure is satisfactory for the girls that love that, right? You know, it's got to take away from it, but, you know, there were girls that said, I really just want to get on top. And, and of course, I have a vetting process, so it, does, it didn't mean that every single girl um, was just going to jump in, kick the door open, and then jump in the scene. You know, I had, I had to be very responsible from this point on because now with penetration, now I have to consider all of the other risks that go along with that and, you know, Clearly, it's something that I have to be responsible for as a producer, as a director, and also for myself and for the talent. Like, you know, the the glamour of doing it is very different than the reality of being responsible about how you do it. So got to be proactive in those measures and make sure that you vet the people um, and not even just for ta- not for talent testing alone or just, you know, that type of thing, but just the, the obvious danger that sometimes as a male performer, you can, you can have sex with a woman or a female talent, and um, biology has its own way of um, taking its course, which means women might very well catch feelings or feel some kind of way after you have sex with them. And that's something that most talent, most performers don't talk about. It's a very sensitive subject because some people may have dealt with it on very deep levels. But um, that's that's the responsibility of, of me as a producer and the director and the talent of this to make sure that I don't end up screwing the crazy chick, you know, or the chick that has a reputation of robbing dudes, which is another element all in itself that, that I'm grateful I've never dealt with, I've never seen, you know, I've never had to deal with that. But that's, that's a reality. So when I got into penetration, that's when things started to get more serious in terms of, like, the process of getting, of, of who, which talent is going to be in, which talent is not going to be in, um... And regardless of how hot they were or how many followers they had, I had to really, really be careful about it because all it takes is one mistake. And, you know, I always tell the followers that no matter what you're doing, you have to trust your gut. 
and you have to really read the room no matter where you are, and that especially in porn because things can flip very quickly. So, I, you know, there's a responsibility element to this that once you get into having sex, um, now I will just say this out the gate. I haven't done, I have not performed any anal scenes on girls. Um, that's something that um, at this moment, just hasn't happened because I, you know, I just need to, I need to go to another process in order to vet that step. So, um, yeah, but as far as penetration, um, as long as the girls are tested and, you know, current with, with their, you know, results and all of that, and, and they also have a good attitude and they show signs of being very professional, um, you know, good communication, you know, being able to, you know, just, you know, not give any signals of crazy, then it's all good. But the first first sign I see of something that, that triggers me or is a red flag, then I'm going to rescind the act of penetration to something that's not penetration. It could be a low job or something else. But you know, it's that's a very serious thing in porn that people don't talk about. But just a little perspective on that. That's how I got into the penetration part of it. Something that the listeners might be curious to know, uh, you know, because like let's say someone found one, you know, this interview. Uh, they saw the name Waxack. They had not heard about you, but they found the name interesting, and so they've been listening to your story and that sort of thing. But they might be curious because they had never seen your content before of what to expect how would you describe your style of porn to someone who has never seen it before wow um i would describe it as aggressive bondage or sensual domination so Sensual domination actually has been a better description as of late because it's not the standard traditional BDSM domination where there is a, a sub and a dom um, playing out those parts where it's the, the you know, I'm always the, the, the sub naturally in my content, but the way my content performs is not as forward as that really it's not like i am the dom or i'm sorry it's not like i'm the sub and i'm like yes mistress can i come now can i do this it's actually more there's elements of intimacy and domination that kind of marry in the middle so that's the best way i would describe it it's it's still it's still a form of domination, and it's still it's very much a, a fetish. It's definitely a fetish, but it's not as traditional as being um, handcuffed or tied up in a rope or even wrapped up completely in the body. And that's something else that I have to kind of give some light on is that when I'm in the bag, I am not restrained by anything i am just restraining so my hands are not tied up or um 
the bag is not hindering my movement to, to be able to get out of it. It's just that I am covered in the bag. So the bag is, is more of an aesthetic than it is a hindrance. Now, it can it, – it, now, for those who may want to explore the idea or even try it, um, you can add that element. But for me, the whole idea is that it is more so the feel of me being submissive than the fact that I am actually unable to move or to engage the talent when things get intimate. Because when, when we're doing penetration things, for instance, naturally things are going to be more intimate for me in the talent. So that, that means that sometimes my arms might break out the bag or sometimes I might sit up while in the bag. And so it's not as traditional as the other BDSM themes where the, um, the sub is completely tied up strapped down, tied down, or handcuffed, and he can't move. And the woman who is the, the dom is basically taking a 1,000% control. So I would say the percentage of this concept as far as the domination ratio would be the girl is definitely 70%, and then there's that 30% that if things get more intimate, then I can engage that 30% so that it's more of an intimate moment versus it being just all her doing all the work. Um, but, yeah, that's mainly for the penetration scene. You know, that's, it's not something that's more common with, like, the hand job or the blow job. I like for a blow job, I don't, I don't grab girls' heads and make their head bounce on their, you know, I don't do that. Or, you know, I, or even for, like, the foot stuff, like, their feet but yeah that's that's the dynamic it is more um sensual domination i think that would be the best description for like the general people and then for the fetish people it would be a progressive bdsm because it's definitely um another i guess progression of it versus it being just leather and latex and yes dom no dom blah 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 you know since the whole sort of like the crux of uh, your scene work is that you are in the bag, wax sack. Hello. My question for you now <laughs> is what is the preparation for you in regards to actually getting into the wax sack? Like, does that take a moment when, when like, you know, you have a, a scene scheduled and that sort of thing to actually get into, I want to call it a contraption, but it's not a contraption. As you said, it's just a bag. But, like, you know, how long does it take you to actually prepare yourself within the sack? Oh, that takes less than three minutes for me. <laughs> um, so the process is very simple. And... It may look very prized because that's how it looks, but that's the art of it. The art is that it looks like it's layers and it takes a lot of a lot of um, plotting to get into. But the truth is, how the bag is constructed, how the suit is, is built, it's basically done with um, I use a large bag on the top part of my body 
which usually can be depending on how tall you are or how, you know, your body type. You can use like the gigantic leaf bags, which usually come um, in 45 or 55 gallon size bags, which is usually good for somebody who's my height. That can go all the way down to my ankles. But then I also use very generic small garbage bag at the bottom. So what I do is I put the large bag on first on top, kind of like throw it over my over the top of my head. I make the holes in the arms. I punch the hole in the head so that it kind of, you know, forms a suit. And then I jump on the bed, and then I put the, the bottom bag on, which is like the footer, kind of to round out the suit to make it look like I'm really deep in the suit. Um, and those bags don't have to be as large as the top bags. Those bags can be like, I usually go to Family Dollar and get those bags. Those bags are like, I don't know, like the the 10-gallon, you know, cheap bags. Um, it's really just to cover the, the bottom part of the bag, you know, just so that it looks like one giant bag. And then um, there's a head screen piece that I've been using, you know, for the last few years, which is cool because, you know, it kind of completes the look. So I look like, you know, just some ominous bag dude. Um, the hair screen takes no time at all. Um, throw it on your head. And you can sort of see through it. It's not like you can't see through it. Like, you can sort of see. Um, so it's not like completely darkening to the visual. Um, and... And it just takes a little time for me to, like, get situated before a scene. So, like, I jump on the bed with the top bag on. Um, I put on the bottom bag. I tuck the bag under me. I put on the head screen. And then the girl is either off camera or on the bed already. And then once I'm set, then I'll give a cue to say action. And then that's when the action begins. And that's basically how every wax sack scene begins. Is um, It takes me less than five minutes at the most to get into the bag. And sometimes um, sometimes there are only a few times where I use, like, some bags that I wasn't really sure about. Like, I just bought some random garbage bags, and they were cheap <laughs> bags. So while I was trying to get into the suit, the bags broke, so I had to, like, cut the scene and then like get a new bag and then reset the scene and then we started again but that's only happened like maybe five times ever out of the hundreds of times i've done a scene there might be somebody listening right now you know they've seen your content they they're like okay that's really neat that's interesting maybe i'd like to try that out one day but i wonder What's going on with Mr. Wax Sack when he's in the sack? Like, what is he experiencing? What does the sack do for him? You know, does it add an added layer of pleasure? Like, what goes into, how would you describe, basically is what I'm saying, how would you describe the sensations that you feel and the pleasure that you receive by being in the Wax Sack? That's a very good question because... During the early phases of me doing wax sack, I did have 
this bodysuit idea that I just described where I have the large bag and then the bottom bag, but I didn't have the head screen because I was shooting everything POV. So because I didn't have that and I was holding the camera like near my face and I was in the wax sack, it was basically, it didn't, like as far as, I, as far as from my point of view, I was focused on capturing the action. So I took more, I took on a role of just being a cameraman talent versus a talent that can really be deep into the scene. So once I expanded and got into doing, you know, two angles and, you know, that's when I really expanded and then I can break away from having to hold the camera. Now the experience becomes very different. So in that experience, especially when you do the top to bottom wax sack, you know, get up, I'm talking the head screen, the bag on the upper part and the bag on the lower part. Um, the sensation is most people instantly say, oh, you must be hot in that bag. That bag must be hot. Well, I mean, if you're having sex and things are getting hot anyway. I mean, what's one level of hot relative to another level of hot, you know? But um, I will say this. Yeah, it, it could get hot. It has a, a possibility of getting warmer. But what it does do more than anything, I guess this is the big selling point of trying this, which I would encourage somebody to just try just for the sake of it, um, is that it it gives the sub the subject, which would be me. I would be the subject and everything. So if I'm in the bag, I'm covered, my head is covered, my body's covered, my, my lower part, my, my everything's covered. What it does is it puts me in the headspace of being almost a voyeur to my own sexual experience because it's very trippy in the sense that I can see what's happening through the head screen of the girl, but she doesn't really know what I'm seeing. So because she doesn't know, I think what happens subconsciously is that she's freer than she would be if, if there was just a, you know, an eye-to-eye casual situation where it's just like no bag. It's almost like she gets to be more free because she gets to explore the fantasy of this mystery dick or this mystery dude, you know? And that is something that um, most girls have, have commented on or said whether on Twitter or even on, on OnlyFans, they say the thing that I the thing that they like about Waxac is that it's so mysterious. It's so eerie because in their own fantasies as women, women have different types of fantasies than dudes have. And the fantasies the fantasies that they have have to do more with just not just being in control of a dude and having their way, but have to do with the dude can be whoever they want it to be. That's really the dynamic part. Like, it could be a dude, like, they know it's me, right? But, like, in their imagination, like, once the scene starts, I am, I could be another dude. I could be just a toy. I could be anything. They, they act more freely because of that. That's just been my experience 
that's what I've seen firsthand. That's I, I've I can definitely see the difference um in my content over the years when I, you know, made the shift to doing the full suit versus when I didn't do the full suit. So being in the bag, you get to almost watch yourself be seen what a girl's fantasy is, how her fantasy is playing out. And I think that's the most, um, that's the most alluring thing. Like as far as like what, what was deemed as excitable um, for me. I mean, I mean the horny part of it is like, of course, obvious, but on a deeper level, the best part about doing it is you get to be a tool for the female that you're partner with. So if anybody wants to try it, the male, you get to just be stationary and you get to just be be whatever you want the girl and you get to be a voyeur of your own sexual episode. So there's a sensory deprivation element to it that definitely heightens the experience and that's what makes it even deeper because it's not just you know there's a certain level of discipline you have to have as a dude to be in that position and to basically just yield your control so i mean that's the excitable part for me most guys may feel you know, that might be hit or miss with some dudes because a lot of dudes would rather be in control. But for those that are into the fetish of, of the BDSM dynamic, this is definitely for them, and for, for, for those dudes that like that, and then also for those women that like that, that want to be in control. And, yeah, so the waxing experience is definitely something that I would say, hey, you want to try it. I actually tell people how to build the suit, what materials to get, like how to do it. And um, a special shout out to a friend of mine, content creator, Clean Teen Eugene, who actually did a tribute scene. <laughs> All rhyme, right? All rhyme. Clean Teen Eugene did a tribute scene of a wax sack clip where I sent him. I sent him basically the full materials, like the head screen, the bags, and he did a whole scene. And he did it the way that I would do it. So um, he's the only content creator who has his own platform but did a tribute scene in the style of Wax Sack. And so sometimes I'll tell people um, that want to do it, I'll say, look at how he did it. They're looking at me, and they go, wow, you nobody else can do that. Because I think in their mind, they think, you know, it's so bizarre, and it takes so much work. I said, no, clean Gene, clean Pin Eugene did it. And I, I basically gave him the instructions, and he pulled it off. So I think anybody can do it. Everybody can do it, as a matter of fact. You just need some garbage bags, hair screen, and maybe coconut oil. That's what I prefer to use. So, there you go. Now, after all of this has been said, I'm sure there might be... I feel like these next two questions are questions that the listeners 
might be curious to know. I kind of feel like I know the answers to both questions just based off of what you've said, but I'm going to ask them anyway because I'm sure there's someone out there that's listening that has been following your content that might want to know the answer to both of these questions. And the first question is, would you ever do just a straightforward porn scene? You know, without the sack, would you ever do just a a regular degular porn scene? <laughs> you know, I have been asked. I have been, um, um, I mean, there have been people that have asked me to do the, do a scene as a custom. Like, can you do a regular scene? And on the onset, I would say I wouldn't do it but not because I wouldn't be interested in doing it. I wouldn't do it just because I want to remain sovereign from just the crowd of those that are already doing that. So not that I would be against the idea of doing it. It's just that the whole impetus for me to do Wag Shack is that I'm bringing something very unique to the spectrum. And I think that there's a niche for something like this that most people want to experience something that's different and see something that's completely, you know, like unconventional. And I just find that, you know, that doing a regular scene um, for me wouldn't be as fulfilling. And that's not to say that I wouldn't have fun. It's just, I think, I think for me, Doing a regular style scene doesn't doesn't really speak to my to my desire to perform on camera. If that makes sense, like I like the fact that I am a a quirky like you know like just a object, just a male object, sort of being used and, and, and utilized, but also the thing that I like about the, the wax set concept that I feel is different than like regular porn is that um, it solely puts the focus on the woman or the ta- female talent where nowadays I see a lot of, you know, things that, you know, you know, Vixen and black, I mean, the big time stuff, like super popular stuff. And it's cool. I mean, it looks very sheen. It's very polished. It's very clean looking. But I also feel that it's, you know, I've seen it before. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not in any parts aroused at it. If anything, I'm fascinated by it. I can look at it like I go to an art museum and look at a painting and go, "Wow, that looks really good." You know, that's fascinating. But I'm not looking at it going, "This is kinky. This is." This is far out. I'm talking like this is strange. Like I think sexuality, there are some parts of sexuality that have to have degrees of angularity to it in order for it to be truly um, arousing. And most people just got numb to it because porn is everywhere. It's so all, I mean, it's all on Twitter, of course. It's all over the Internet, of course. So... I wouldn't do a regular scene just because I want to remain sovereign from the stampede. And I want to make sure that 
the emphasis is still on the dynamic of the woman pleasing the man or taking advantage of the man. Either one. Like, that's really... Because if I do a regular scene, now it's about... It's like I'm dominating the woman. Like, that content is cool. Like, nothing against it. I watched years of it. But I just feel like, you know... I bring something different to the table and I want to make sure that it stays that way. And I also like the fact that the women appreciate it too. So that's another big reason. The women like to see content that that's kinky and gives the woman like an opportunity to explore versus seeing a woman just get, you know, railed doggy style for 20 minutes. I like that answer. Yes, certainly. Yeah, that's the perfect answer. I I feel like anyone that's out there that was curious about seeing you in a regular scene completely now understands why you don't really have an interest in doing that. Now, the next question is another one that I'm sure the listeners and your fans might be curious to know. I know that you know, at least I feel like in the back of your mind, you knew I was going to ask you this. Face reveal. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Will you know, there ever be? Will, will it ever happen? You know, I'm just going to answer this by saying, giving, giving, giving reference to something that I think most people can relate to. Um, I often, from time to time, I may, I may not have done it recently, but when I used to like really get going on Twitter, I used to make these references to superheroes. And I think subconsciously, this is also the angle for which I do this concept from, is that I am sort of a porn vigilante. Because I came out of nowhere. People don't know who I am. They don't, they don't know like how my impact has gotten to the level it's gotten. And I've gotten people from different corners of the industry, whether they be content creators or even studios or even production companies, going, who in the hell is this one dude wearing this bag causing all this noise on, online? And reference all of that to say that um, there, I, I mean, I'm a big comic book geek, so, of course, there's always the, um, the mythologies of those that are, you know, mass vigilantes like, you know, Batman and, of course, Spider-Man and, you know, um, but then there's also the dynamic of there are heroes that we know who's behind the mat, like, uh, you know, rest in peace, Black Panther, you know, Black Panther and Iron Man. And, and you go, well, point, might have to meet the road. And so I did, I do think about this all the time. And this is something that I haven't put off. But I've done a few clips. I've done a few clips where my mask was halfway up but it wasn't fully revealed. Like the mask may have come up past my nose maybe. And people were like, oh, my goodness, you about to reveal, you about to reveal. And it drew up a lot of anticipation. Now, I do flirt with the idea of a reveal, but when that reveal happens, chances are that will be the day that the Wagsack concept will be done. 
and I don't mean it in a way that like detrimental to my reputation or anything. Um, I mean it more so in a way that the mystery or the mystique behind this concept is that I am an ominous person that is sort of pulling the strings of the Muppets and kind of curating this concept. And while it's grown in numbers and followers and support, it's also the biggest thing about the wax set concept is that it's all me. And I don't mean that to say that it, you know, I can't involve any other persons, but as far as the, the, the camera work, as far as the editing, as far as getting the talent, as far as just curating all of the content related to what I do, it's all me. There's no other persons involved, no, no person behind the, the, the curtain, um, you know, doing stuff for me, um, none of it. So, so I think that there's a, there's a bit of drama that is built up in, because people watch it with the anticipation that I might reveal. So is there is a chance, and I will say that on the record. I said, you know, there is a chance that there could be a face reveal, but it could also be like one of those dramatic series finale face reveals where it's like, you know, it's just like Scooby-Doo. Once you know who the ghost is, it's over. Like the mystery is over. So to preserve the mystery, the mask and, and the allure will, will remain the same. But if I ever decide to um, hang up the bag and do like a farewell tribute scene of some sort, I will definitely do a face reveal. I think it's, um, I think it's only fitting to the storyline. So, yeah, to answer your question, definitely possible. All right, listeners, you heard it here. So it could potentially happen, although it might be a little bit sad because it would be maybe potentially the series finale of Waxack. So uh, it's like a double-edged sword. You know, do you want the face reveal? Do you want it to be the end? Uh, stay tuned. But this next question <laughs> could potentially be a question that some of your hardcore fans and supporters might be curious about. How much... Is Mr. Waxack packing? Oh my goodness! Well, you know I'm pretty modest with with that question, and I think it's a funny question because I think that um, you know I'll just give you the answer first, and then I'll go on the back end and say what I'm gonna say. I am literally at the nine point four mark, four inches. So. On a very, very good day, really warm in that room, you know, that's that's the full length at its at its potential. Um, and what I always say to the dudes that ask me about how do I get bigger, do I use pills, do I use pumps, do I get the needle injections, I always say to the dudes, um, don't ever do that, don't ever use placebos. Um, supplements, um, you know, don't don't use pumps, don't use the needles, don't do any of that. Um, penis size is much like our height, you know, especially. Um, 
it is what it is, but what matters to women, and women have told me this, and I will take this opportunity to hopefully change some lives with this answer right here, is that women are more concerned with the performance of the penis and not the size. Yes, size does play a factor, especially when you're doing porn and you're performing with porn stars, you know what I mean? Because they they kind of, you know, deal with larger than average penises. But the thing about size is that I have seen some incredible performers in my years, whether it be content creators or just like, you know, porn performers. They've been like average size and they do a knockout job because they stay hard and they can stay hard through a scene. And that's really what matters to women on and off the camera. Women will say, they have said to me now, because I've done a lot of scenes and I've been very cool with a lot of the talent, it's it's cool to get like these really deep, like real answers from the girls. And they'll say, yeah, I've worked with insert big time name. Who's like 13 inches. But the problem was he couldn't stay hard. Or I've worked with this other performer who is like 12 inches and it was the biggest I've ever seen, but you know, had no stamina. So that's why I always go on the deep end on Twitter and even on OnlyFans about lifestyle choices that that I practice, that I do every day, that I tell dudes to do as much as they can so that they can naturally up their libido and get their, you know, get their performance up so that no matter what size you are, you can be erect the entire time. And there's also methods that can help increase the size, but you want to do it naturally and it will take more time. It's, it's definitely a process. And if you have the patience and the time to do it every single day for months, then you could see results. But for me, for me, because of how my life is, because I have to possibly shoot with talent like anywhere from like twice to four times a week, um, I have to have a routine that works best for my life. So I always tell the guys, you got to get two or three days of rest in between orgasms. That gives you enough time to recover naturally. There's just a minimum, two to three days minimum. And then you have to drink water and you have to eat the right food, stay away from junk food, fast food, anything that can, you know, tank your libido, alcohol as much as possible, weed as much as possible, um, any drugs, any, you know, um, you know, any sort of like recreational drugs and stuff like that. Like just if you want to be in porn, like if you want to do it at that level, you have to be basically an athlete. And that's basically what prompted me to like get really serious about my health because the more the girls kept showing up, I just didn't have enough juice in the tank. I was just like, I'm, I have nothing. And so I'm like, I got to get serious about how I plan my, um, my shoots. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm at that 9.4 region and you know, like I said, you know, it doesn't matter if you're six or seven or eight or or even three. <laughs> like, 
just make sure that you get do all the right things so, so that you can be erect. And women are always going to be aroused by how erect a dude is versus how big he is. Like, on the average, most, like, the average girl does not, I've had issues in my personal life just before I started making porn where girls are like, oh, I can't do that. Like, that's, we can't do anything because that's a porn dick, you know. <laughs> but something would still happen, but I just couldn't, like, penetrate her because she was like, oh, no, I can't do a porn dick. Um, so that's the, that's the downside of it. If there is a downside, it's just like sometimes you will get rejected because girls will be like, we, we, we can't do that. So that, that's that. <laughs> well, in this answer, you referenced juice in the tank. So let's talk about all the juice in your tank because you have what I think the best way to describe is as explosive cum shots. You're always ready for a, for a pop. The pop is usually ridiculous. What goes into the preparation for a scene to make sure you have the ooey, gooey, creamy pop shot? And correct me if I'm wrong, it does appear as if you're multi-orgasmic, or did I just imagine that? No, you're, you're right. I do multiple orgasms in most of my things and I will answer this one first and then I'll backtrack to the preparation the multiple orgasm thing actually was something that honestly did not I was never really that dude for a long time like I think that only started when I got around 30 honestly and it's it's strange because what happened is by me doing this concept and me being able to, in some ways, analyze my own sexual behavior, I was able to, I guess, learn how to uh, learn different techniques by doing Kegel exercises, which is something I always tell dudes to do, which helps with being multi-orgasmic. Um, Kegels definitely help. If you work out, then make sure you get in squats and lunges or anything that that contracts the hips and the lower body. Um, it's it's kind of a quirky thing, but it's but it also ties into the preparation as well. And this is what I'm going to get into. Um, what I do, especially if I know that I have a scene set on a certain day, um, if I, and if it's like a two days out or so. I'm going to make sure that I get as much rest as possible. That is the most crippling thing that most people don't get because it's the one thing that we're mostly all deprived of for whatever reason because we're working and stress and, you know, whatever responsibilities. But rest is really the gateway to being prepared, especially if you're a guy over 30 your testosterone levels are naturally going to be lower than they were in your 20s, so you need more rest. Um, what that looks like for me is I try to rest at least, I try to get at least seven to eight hours if I can, and I try, if, if I can't get seven or eight, then I'll get six at night, and I'll try to get a nap during the day. Like, the nap is really the game changer. 
because the nap will actually help neutralize your body to repair faster so that you can have a stronger libido. Um, as far as dietary, one of my mantras that I always say on Twitter and it's become like a bumper sticker or a T-shirt at this point, which is drink water, drink water, drink water, drink water. And water not only has the um, ability to, you know, flush out toxins and, and get your your digestive tract in order, which is the key. It's really the key to being able to have orgasm because for men, our plumbing is very close-knit to everything, you know, the rectum and then, you know, the prostate, and everything is pretty much consolidated. So if you're having digestive issues, your your ability to have that orgasm is going to be not as strong. So water does a great job of naturally flushing out things. Um, it hydrates the muscles. It even hydrates the bones. And, you know, it hydrates the organs, which is what you need. Um, and then as far as food, um, now this is just a very short list, but this is going to be right to the point. Um, eggs, eggs, eggs. I mean, and I got this tip from, um, I think it was years ago when I used to watch, like, the golden era porn with Peter North and, um, John Holmes and, and all of these legends. Peter North, to me, is like the greatest pop shot dude in history. I mean, he's the greatest. I mean, he's the dude that has like the, the deepest catalog. And, and, and I mean, I just idolize Peter North. So Peter, I read an article that stated that Peter North would eat three to four eggs a day. Um, you want to have the yolk runny when you eat the egg. So whether it be sunny side up or easy over, you want the yolk because the yolk is actually what carries the cholesterol that you need for the testosterone to produce the best amount of, of, of semen. So you want the yolk to be intact. You don't have to eat the eggs raw. I wouldn't recommend it. Like don't crack an egg and eat, eat, eat it raw. Don't do that. At least cook it. Um, and then – Greens, green vegetables. So, you know, it also mentioned that he ate a lot of, like, celery and um, spinach, kale. So I adopted those tips from an interview, and I just started to change my life and, and, and sort of make that more part of my regular diet. And I started to notice a difference because my, um, my, my pops were more white in terms of appearance which means that you're going to get the purest level of semen. That's the purest level, um, which most people don't tend to have when you see their porn. It's like it's, it's usually clear, um, and that has to do with the diet. So eggs, greens, whether it be cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, even cauliflower is not green, but it's still a vegetable, um, those help. I get like one serving a day. So I try to, um, before I, you know, have a thing, I'll, you know, I'll eat like three eggs in the morning. They can be like lightly scrambled too. They don't have to be sunny side up or easy over. They can be lightly scrambled, but they got to have some yolk in them. 
And then I'll also add some spinach to that. So I'll eat them together. So the spinach is usually cooked. And that's fine if it's cooked. It doesn't matter if it's cooked or if it's raw. But I'll cook like a, a small serving of spinach. Um, add a little bit of olive oil. Boom. And then um, the other key superfood that's actually going to help is any form of fish. If, if you know... It all depends on dietary preferences. Like if you're a vegan, then, you know, I would suggest uh, pumpkin seeds or, or um, chia seeds. Those are two that have a high amount of zinc and, and have the right nutrients. But fish oil has a deep potency of vitamin D, which is what the body needs to produce certain certain elements to keep the libido super, super solid because that ties into your immune system. So you want to make sure your immune system is very, very, very strong. That's another thing. When your semen is very white and is very pure, that means your immune system is working very well. So you want to have water, water as much as possible, eggs at least three minimum a day, you know, when, however you break it up, it can be boiled, too. They can be boiled eggs. Um, but they're better if you have the yolk. You have greens, green vegetables, or anything, you know, vegetable. But it has to be green. The green, the chlorophyll element is, is like, very potent to the body. And then you want to have fish. So I try to eat those three every single day. And that's that's my preparation is that I just try to stay ready. I try to keep my body in the best shape possible as much as I can. Of course, sometimes I'll go out and hang out with friends and, you know, people want to go to, like, the pizza spot or, you know, they want to eat junk. And so, you know, I have a cheat day. You know, it's not a big deal. Like, I'll have a cheat day. But, um, you know, I also tell people in the morning when I, do, when I post about my morning routine, that I take a teaspoon of cod liver oil because cod liver oil actually one one tablespoon of cod liver oil can give you a full serving of salmon equivalent, like as far as the, the nutrient density when it comes to vitamin A and vitamin D. So so you can take you can add cod liver oil. I add that to my dietary routine. I also um, use supplements such as um, zinc picolinate, which is basically a more concentrated version of zinc, and it absorbs into the body more than regular zinc. And then I also do um, magnesium, very key to the body, selenium, a very undernourished uh, supplement that most Americans don't get just because our diet, um, and I also take vitamin D tablets, which I recommend everybody to do, regardless of whether they're trying to get a pop shot or not, because <laughs> vitamin D is the most vital of the vitamins to the body. Um, it, it, it regulates the immune system and helps sort of conduct so many properties within the body. So... So just a quick recap, I do the zinc, the magnesium, selenium, vitamin D, and I also, if I, if I have a long day ahead of me, 
I'll add maca root. So I'll add maca root, which is a very popular one for a lot of the porn performers. Um, the women can take maca root too. It 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 has extraordinary um, stimulus properties to, for the body, especially the libido, and, it, and you have to take it, you know, enough daily. You know, it, it takes a while for it to show up in your system, you know, for it to just, like, you, you see the results. But it takes about a month. But if you stay consistent with it, it'll be a game changer. Um, so that's what I do. That's my whole process. And I also, one other thing that I do is I try to get in at least 45 minutes of ex, of exercise, at least five days a week. So what that looks like for me is it could be um, maybe four sets of push-ups, 25 each. I'll do four sets of dips, 25 each. Squats are good. Too many squats because you want your legs to kind of be worked. So I'll do maybe two sets of squats at 25 each. 25 reps, and then I'll do maybe some mountain climbers, which is something I like to do. Mountain climbers, I'll do that for, i do 50 for three sets, and that's about 45 minutes. That's times and stuff like that. So that's a basic routine that I do every day. I try to, you know, it, because that exercise helps keep the libido up, and, and that's what most guys need to do, especially if they're after 30 years old. you got to stay moving at least at least three times a week, if not five days a week. And that's my whole process, how I prepare. Let's shift away from the content, and uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that are designed to allow the listeners to get to know you a little bit more, a different side of you. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know, something unique about you. Hmm, something unique. Well, I would say um, I have a fascination with animals. Um, and, I, and what that means is I, I'm talking like zoology level fascination. I'm talking like I, I can go to zoos and I can go to like wildlife exhibits and be fascinated with animals because I do find that animals have a very natural course of nature that most of us as humans, we've remixed and reconstructed that nature. And I think it's beautiful to see how animals just naturally do whatever they do. Like there is no no, you know, no animal is going to get canceled for, you know, like a bear is not going to get canceled for killing a deer. Like, you know, it's just a bear being a bear. And, um, and, I, and, and there's also this fascination that I have with um, kangaroos. Kangaroos are just, it's like a weird fascination, but, um, I have yet to see one. I have not been to Australia, but that is my bucket list. Um, Wagsack goes to Australia and sees a kangaroo. Maybe does a scene or two, but, you know, 
definitely love animals. So that's a quirk about me that, um, you know, I think most people don't know. I may not tweet about animals as much for people to know that. So I think that's something that nobody would know, you know, unless they came here and heard it. Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Wow. All right. In my mind, I got to count the words. But 10 words should be more than enough. Okay. So I think I got it. The visionary, sensual, educational stimulus. I think that's less than 10 words. The visionary of sensual, educational stimulus. I like it. Now, as we start yeah, wrapping... Oh, wait, go ahead. It. Sorry. Oh, no, my bad, my bad. I was just saying it had a ring to it. It might be my, my political platform one day. Wax sex for Alderman. Fantastic, yes. That, that would be awesome. I'd love to see the, <laughs> you know, the, the banners and the flyers. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. So as we start wrapping things up, I have uh, this list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. And the first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Oh, my goodness. Ooh, five. All right. I'm going to have to say Martin's One. The Wire, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which nice. is a Marvel show. Yes. Fantastic choices. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? At the top, oh, my goodness. I don't know if it's, it's going to be at the top, but I'll just name the first one. Um, oh. Now, I might be telling my age on this one, but it's cool. Um, Marvin Gaye, um, that's one. Two, um, two is going to be um, Notorious B.I.G. Three is going to be A Tribe Called Quest. And four is going to be Michael Jackson. Fantastic choices. What are three of your most favorite films? Ooh, big time, big time question. Okay, Scarface, that's a big one. Um, Idiocracy, I know it's a goofy one, but it's in my top three. And... Ooh, this is a tough one. Oh, I got it. Into the Dragon. Very nice. What are two foods you can't live without? Eggs. Clearly. Yep, top of the list. And it has to be something gluttonous, so I, I don't want to be too healthy. It's, um, I'm going to say... Deep dish pizza. Oh, those uh, casserole things that y'all do in Chicago. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's 
That's how we get down. Okay. Um, I have a friend from Chicago. I like to tease her, and she gets very offended that I call the deep dish pizza a casserole. Like, she gets livid, and I keep on doing it because it's entertaining for me. Yeah, I don't I don't get offended. <laughs> yes. You know. We we know the type of we know the heat we receive for, for our deep dish, so yeah. yeah. I like eggs it. and deep dish. Yes. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Hmm. I think I got one. I think um watching drag shows on YouTube. That's fascinating. They are entertaining. I mean, look, the entertainment value you get out of a drag show is, is is something special. So I just thought about it. I'm like, I guess that's a guilty pleasure because it's not something that I would, like, tell people I do, but I can't look away from it either. <laughs> is Waxack secretly a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? I don't know if I follow Drag Race enough to be a fan of it like i don't i don't really watch a lot of reality tv if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like reality tv for me is kind of it's like it takes a lot for me to follow it because then if you jump in the middle of it then you don't know the whole backstory of the drama before so just in general um it's hard for me to follow but if it's a segment like on YouTube, and that's why I say it on YouTube, because it's usually easier for me to watch a segment of something than to watch a whole show. Um, but but I guess because they have segments on that show, they always come up in the algorithm. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, there's, there's definitely clips in it that, that I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. But I don't know the names of every person. I can't commit, like, all the all the characters. Um, sometimes it's just like a random... Like, I'm talking, like, the most random drag show with somebody with a camera phone and they're just taping it. They're just, like, filming the, the show from the audience. Because those are the most, those are, like, the real shows, you know, where you get to see, like, all of the the, the drama and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's, the they're really committed to this. Yes. Yeah, it's it's, like, the real thing. It's kind of what I feel about, like, how porn is, like, you know, you know, like, mainstream stuff is cool, it looks great, but it's not, like, the real, real, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I feel you on so, that. So, yeah. What are you currently yeah. binging? Are you binge-watching anything at the moment? I am. I am. Um, The Physical 100, which is on Netflix. So, it's a show that's basically a game show style of Squid Game, and it's, of course, a Korean show. So the premise is that they get in groups, and they all compete through these games, and people get eliminated just like in Squid Game. The only difference is they're not being killed for losing, you know. So I am watching Physical 100, and um, there's one other show that I just started um, I don't know if I'm quite binging it, but it's uh, Dahmer, the Dahmer series. Um, I just kept hearing about it. And so far, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the whole series. Um, it just moves kind of slow for me. But, yeah, I'm definitely watching Physical 100. What's next for Waxack? 
what can the listeners and your fans expect from you and your productions in, or I should say, throughout this year, 2023? Um, I did give notice that I am going to be expanding into some other areas of content which may or may not involve me having to perform like a sexual act but doing more trampling because I've been fascinated with that so trampling content um, more workout content which I've done one clip with Ziva Faye of both of us doing the wax sack workout. She was the only girl that was willing to do a workout with me on camera so far. So I want to do more workout videos. Um, and also, I am flirting with the idea of expanding to mini vids. I actually started a mini vids account during that period when OnlyFans was trying to collapse. And as of right now, nobody knows what the future of OnlyFans is going to look like. So there's a chance that as a contingency, I might mount up the the mini vids platform. But, you know, that's, that's kind of on the lower tier of the things that I'm looking to do as a priority. I am definitely going to do more trampling content and definitely going to do more working out content because um, I think it's better for a lot of the guys to see the context of my workout routine so that it inspires them to actually do it. And also, I want to do more trampling because I'm just fascinated with it. I just go, wow, that's, that's funny. Like, I think trampling some dude is just funny. And... Um, the way that I would do it, I think it would be entertaining. So it, that's definitely the, the next wave of the Wexac, um anthology. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, as well as uh, this is now your chance to drop all of the vital links as to where the listeners can acquire or view your content? Yeah. Um, the primary social media is Twitter, which is Waxack Triple X. And then the OnlyFans is a very popular platform, of course, and that is um, OnlyFans.com slash Waxack Triple X. And the, the longest lasting platform that I've been on, and the first one, is Clips for Sale. And unfortunately, there is no easy... Um, hyperlink to that one but the the actual address to it is clipsforsale.com forward slash one two three one five nine that's studio number one two three one five nine and if you go to clips for sale you can just type wax sack in the search bar and i'll pop up you can't remember that hyperlink <laughs> and um those are my Oh, and also FetLife. I am on FetLife. Um, I believe my FetLife handle is Vance Monroe, V-A-N-C-E-M-O-N-R-O-E. 
So you can also do the same thing. You can search Vance Monroe, and I'll pop up. And boom, um, those are my platforms. <laughs> Perfect. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Um, I would just like to say that I appreciate every single one of you, and I thank you all for listening and supporting great interviewers and opportunities like this. Um, and let's keep the culture going. Let's keep this thing rolling as long as we can, and hopefully the revolution will soon be ours to hold. <laughs> so thank you so much. Fantastic. Well, I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview, Waxack. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun and uh, definitely informative, you know, a, a full journey. Absolutely. And the doors open for more. Whenever you want to come back to update the listeners and your fans on what you've been up to, you're more than welcome to. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Poppy Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Poppy Chulo, visit poppychuloradio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at Poppy Chulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Poppy Chula Radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Waxack and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. All right, y'all. Good night. Sleep tight. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>